you, our Father, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commands and offered us the gift of rest, the Sabbath. May we now, as your gathered community, experience the rest your Son Jesus has promised us, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and in him we find rest for our souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Enlighten our darkness and guide us, your children, towards your truth and eternal light, that we may rest in the Lord of the Sabbath, your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, church. He has brought us from death to life. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Yeah. Till I made I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my truth Till I made you goes like this you call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious stay you call my name and I ran out of that grave out of the has saved my soul and now your freedom is all that I know the old made new Jesus when I met you you called my name and I ran out of that grave darkness into your glorious day you called my name and I ran out of that grave out of the darkness into your glorious day
So what the Lord's done for us, let's sing this together. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen. Amen. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. Cause when you call my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into your glorious day. Amen. You know, church, I heard a, a pastor say once, you know, when, if you were brought from death to life, you would never get over it. <laughs> you would never get tired of telling people about it. You would never get sick of singing about it. It's relevant today as much as it was every day of our lives and will be forever into eternity. Amen. There's a passage in Ephesians 2 I would like to read. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. I'm going to read that part again. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory majesty praise forever to the king of kings thank you lord in the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt more church let's sing this together
to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for us sake you died praise the father Wow. 
just sing that one more time. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon seated. Ephesians 12.2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we've been walking through this series the last few weeks on the Sabbath, and we've been getting great, great insight into uh, the background and the purpose and the vision behind it, it really all comes down to that, doesn't it? The idea of Sabbath is is that we would have the space and the heart that we might fix our eyes on Jesus, turning to him and allowing him to speak to us, to change us, to transform us. And so this morning we are going to practice um, a way of doing that in our services through the act of communion. An opportunity where we will get to have to turn our eyes to Jesus and what he has done for us. Because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and the cup and he said, this bread and this wine that I am giving to you today symbolizes my body and my blood which has given for you for the forgiveness of sins. And by offering this table to us, he is saying, come and experience my salvation and grace anew again. And so this morning, as a church, we will come before his table, and we at Liberty Bible Church practice open communion, which means you do not have to be a member of our church to partake with us. We just ask that as you come to the table, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ as you do that. If you do not have that relationship with him, we are excited also for you this morning that this is an opportunity for you to observe and see a little bit, a little slice of what Christ is offering you. And so as you come, as the ushers come forward or the servers come forward this morning, we invite you to come up in groups of five to seven. Um, The server will hand you the bread and then you'll dip the bread in the juice and you'll partake as a group together. And so as we come before the Lord this morning, let's just bow our heads in prayer as we prepare our hearts. Father God, thank you for this gift, this opportunity, Lord God, to experience and to partake more again of your grace. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you'd be reminding us again and anew of all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word, Uh, which comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 23, to Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And this is God's word. You may be seated. The Sabbath is why Jesus got killed. Did you see that? The last verse. He heals the man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians, people they normally hated, against Jesus to destroy him or, or to kill him. Because Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath. Is there anyone else read this and, and just like totally confused? Like what is happening in this story? Why does the Sabbath get Jesus killed? What is it about the Sabbath that makes it a matter of life and death? And to ask that question gets right at the heart of why we are doing this series. My belief is all of us want rest, want restoration, want to be at at peace, free of uh, endless distractions, hurried lives, burden upon burden heaped upon us. And here's Jesus saying, yes, let me do that for you. And the religious people of the day say, how dare you? We're going to get you. Like, what is going on here? (laughs) Why does the Sabbath get Jesus killed? Or, Or maybe the better question for us is, well, how would I respond to Jesus' offer of Sabbath restoration? Would I have reached out and received it? Or would I have turned from him in anger? plotted against him? What, what would your reaction have been to Jesus' offer of Sabbath restoration? Why 
Did the Sabbath get Jesus killed? Well, I want to put that question to the text and walk through what happens uh, with us this morning. Why the Sabbath gets Jesus killed. And it, and it starts with a controversy over uh, plucking grain. That Mark puts these two stories together to sort of show us the, the building tension around the Sabbath between Jesus and the religious leaders. So on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were, were plucking heads of grain they were, they were farming on the Sabbath, which did violate a practice of how the Jews in that day would obey the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to pick grain. And here's Jesus and his disciples not practicing the Sabbath and, and flaunting the Sabbath rules in front of religious leaders in the way they handled the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees have questions for Jesus. Why? Why can your disciples do this? What gives you the right to violate the Sabbath? So Jesus gives them a story to answer that question. A story from 1 Samuel 21. It's a story about David. Uh, And here's that story. In 1 Samuel 21, the king of Israel was a man named Saul. And Saul had repeatedly used his power not to be faithful to God, but to do what he wanted. And so Saul had already been told by God through the prophet Samuel that his kingdom would soon come to an end. He'd be replaced by another. And it was obvious to Saul who was going to replace his kingdom because there was a guy named David who was just blessed everywhere he went. And so in response, Saul does not repent, does not seek faithfulness to God, does not seek to change his ways. Instead, he descends further and further into sin which makes Saul repeatedly try to murder David. And so David, in in this story, in 1 Samuel 21, is on the run from people who want to murder him, namely Saul. And he's tired, and he's hungry, and he's vulnerable. And on the run for his life, he ends up in in the city of uh, of Nob. Nob. And the high priest is, is there, And David goes to the high priest who's there in this city and says, I'm hungry. Do you have anything I can eat? And the priest tells him, all I have is the consecrated bread. Bread that David is not supposed to eat. But out of kindness, the high priest allows David to eat the consecrated bread. That's the story Jesus tells to answer the Pharisees' question, what right do you have to break the Sabbath? And so Jesus tells a story that has nothing to do with the Sabbath. All right, like three people, you're confused with me. Like, what does this story have to do with this question? How does this story justify Jesus and his disciples not practicing the Sabbath? The way that the Jews expected you to practice the Sabbath. What right does Jesus have? And he, he tells us in verse 25. He said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? David was in need and was hungry. So of course he got the bread to eat, even though it was not allowable. So here's my first answer to the question. How did uh, the Sabbath get Jesus killed? 
One, the Sabbath means satisfaction in God's good world, which is a rebuke to religion's joylessness. On the Sabbath, if you're hungry, eat. Be filled. It's the very meaning of the Sabbath. Now, I hope this even, to some extent, reminds you of the first sermon in this series back in Genesis. When God first spoke about the seventh day, God did not say the seventh day is a a Sabbath or, or a day of rest. I rested, so obey me joylessly and starve. Now, listen again. Genesis 2, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work he had done in creation. He blessed the seventh day. And remember back to week one, blessing all through Genesis 1 means multiplication, fullness, filling, overabundance, more than enough. And so here are the disciples on a walk. And here's a field of grain full of good food. So they just eat. Like we're back in Genesis 1, walking with the creator of the world, Jesus, in his world that he made, and here's food all around that he gave to his world. So of course they would eat. What else would they do? Starve on the Sabbath? Never. But somehow, the religious people did what religious people are so good at. They took a day of blessing, fullness, feasting, and tried to remove all of the joy they could from that day. Don't eat. Don't touch. Some of us grew up in that environment. The Sabbath means all the things you can't do. Don't you dare play. Don't swim. Don't wash your car. Anything that might make you happy, you, you best not do it. Go to church and be miserable. That's what the Sabbath means. Maybe some of you are there right now. Like, anyway, because this is how Charles Dickens described the Sabbath in the 1800s uh, Europe. He, he wrote that the Sabbath comes and brings with it a day of general gloom and austerity. The man who has been toiling hard all the week has been looking towards the Sabbath, not as a day of rest from labor and healthy recreation, but as one of grievous tyranny and oppression. How do you get from God bless the seventh day to don't you dare eat? How do you make that journey in your mind? Sabbath is a day when we do not go hungry. When we look at the world around us and see what God has given to us and we eat it up. And so as as we invite you to consider a Sabbath practice in your life and that We're going to get super practical next week. But one part of that practice, I believe, should be to make the Sabbath your best meal of the week. Why? Because on the Sabbath, you're practicing two things. One, you're practicing Genesis 1. God created this world with abundance. He did not create us to experience lack, hunger, to be in need, running for our lives. And so one day I can, I can sit down and remember Genesis 1, God's good intentions, his abundance of joy that he created me to share with. I mean, you exist out of the overflow of God's love and abundance for you to taste that with him. So let's, let's do that one day a week. Maybe you, maybe you hear that and think, okay, that, yes, that's not our world anymore. 
There's so much broken, so much that's wrong, so much scarcity. Now, we don't live in the abundance of Genesis 1, the seventh day, any longer. And that's true, and that's the second reason why we need to make the best meal on the Sabbath. It's to look ahead to the world to come. Where we will walk this renewed world once again with Jesus one day in his blessing and his, his abundance. Where we'll walk in the fields he created and have plenty of food to pick from, from the abundance of his creation because we are with our good shepherd and once again we lack nothing. And I know that's not true today, which is why the act of Sabbath becomes a rebellion against a broken world. We know what this world was in Genesis 1 and 2, the unending seventh day. We know what this world is, a scarce and broken world, but we also know what the world will be. And so one day a week, we carve out space and time to look ahead. And that's what Jesus is doing in the field with his disciples. This is the way it's supposed to be, walking with our creator, food in abundance. So why wouldn't you eat? Jesus is asking. So why did the, the Sabbath get Jesus killed? Well, he, he confronted the joylessness of religion. But to be honest, that's probably not enough to get him killed. So let's keep going. That's the first controversy. The second controversy, uh, Mark puts a second Sabbath incident stacked on top of this first Sabbath incident. And so a man uh, comes into a synagogue and he has a withered hand. And the religious leaders are all gathered around and they're looking at Jesus. Will he heal this man? Healing was considered work. The customs of the Sabbath on Jesus' day meant no healing on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders are watching. Will Jesus break the Sabbath again? What joyless cranks. Just sitting in judgment, waiting to pounce when someone makes the wrong move. Not that we've been around anyone like that in church before. Or not that we've been those people in church. But I digress. What Jesus does next is pretty astounding. They're looking at Jesus. So Jesus says, I want you to look at this man. Verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. I find this astounding because everyone is looking at Jesus, judging Jesus, sneering at Jesus. And Jesus says, stop looking at me and look at this man. See him. Look at him. You're all ready to pounce if I do the wrong thing. But what about this guy? What should happen for him on the Sabbath. And then Jesus asks a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Or in other words, what, what is the Sabbath for, Jesus asks. And that's a powerful question. What is the Sabbath for? To litigate whether you can pluck grain? To prevent healing for a day? What is the Sabbath for, Jesus asks. That leads me to my second answer to the question. Why did the Sabbath get Jesus killed? Well, the Sabbath restores our humanness 
which rebukes religion's dehumanizing regulations. And how many people walk into the church and just want the healing of Jesus, but instead meet systems and rules that Jesus said nothing about? Instead meet rules and obligations that are not in the scriptures. They meet our agendas. They meet our rules. They meet our man-made religion, which Jesus never endorsed nor spoke about. Let me do, invite you to consider the question, what would people have to wade through with you before they get to Jesus? Because here it's a bunch of man-made Sabbath regulations that are not rooted in the scriptures. And before, so Jesus is here, like he is here to heal. And they're like, not today, tomorrow. We have, a rule, we have rules about these things. And so between Jesus and this man's healing are, are the rules, the regulations. And what would people have to wade through with you? Your rules, your regulations, before, before they get to Jesus. And one of my uh, favorite comedians, Nate Bargatze, he has, tells a story in, in one of his very first specials about uh, visiting a place called the Serpentarium, a place with uh, snakes and lizards and just was clearly a very dangerous place. But his, the joke starts with, he walks into the place and he's there to see snakes and all kinds of crazy animals. But in the lobby is like all of these anti-government posters. And he starts the joke by saying, like you walk in and you think, I want to see snakes, but it's clear this guy's like, can I actually talk to you about my anti-government views instead? Before the snakes, can, would you like to hear what I think about the, the government? He's like, no, I just want to go to the snake. And I, I wonder like how many people experience church like that. They come in for Jesus and they're like, hold on there are other things we would like to talk to you about first. I've been in church a long time. Let me give you three. I remember uh, being in second grade Sunday school, 1990s, early. And the topic in Sunday school class for second graders on multiple Sundays was what political candidate in the 1992 election Christians should vote for. Now, I don't know if you know this, Second graders can't vote. <laughs> so why are we talking about the political election in second grade Sunday school? Because the teachers were saying, listen, we'll get to Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, you have to vote a certain way. And I can tell you, I had a lot of friends who believe that's true. And between Jesus and his healing stands political parties. Story two. I remember my first Sunday drumming in big church. I hate that phrase, that's what we used though. And it was a huge deal for me because I'd played drums for a couple years in my church, relegated to the youth band off in the corner of the church. But finally, the teenagers were going to get to lead worship in big church. And I've told this story before, but during that service, an older gentleman wearing a white suit, so he, he stood out, was very tall and stood in the middle of the room with his arms crossed, glaring at us, not singing. And it was clear to me. I'll, I'll talk to you about Jesus, but first we got to talk about what kind of music we're playing. 
Before you get to Jesus, you have to worship in a way I approve. You have to come through my preferences. Then we'll talk about Jesus. Story three. There was a season of my life where I I served under a a senior pastor who I witnessed speak to and treat women in disrespectful and condescending ways. And then I had other people who I respected uh, witness it and come to me and confide in me. So I summoned the courage to confront what was happening in a loving way. And the response to me was, was clear. Be quiet and drop it. And through those conversations, it was clear to me, listen, we, Jesus is here, but we need to first recognize this church is this pastor's personal kingdom. He will rule it how he wishes, and you got to go through that before you get to Jesus. What would people have to wade through with you before they get to Jesus? Because everything I just said, with the exception of number three, uh, Jesus does not speak to He shows very little interest in uh, the machinations of political power in his day, though he was a Messiah and a person of political power. I don't recall Jesus uh, ordaining a particular worship style in his ministry, dictating the instruments, the style, the songs. I do recall him speaking a lot about abusive religious leaders. But how much do people have, like they want the healing presence of Jesus. And Jesus wants to heal people. And instead we're like, can we talk about who you're voting for? Let's, let's, let's bicker about our preferences of how worship ministry is expressed or any kind of ministry is expressed. Or, and I, I put this on the table because my own, this needs to be spoken from this space. Or, this place is really more about me than about Jesus. And we have to navigate my ego or, or any elder or leader ego in order to get to Jesus. And my, my prayer for this place is all we're doing as a church, every single ministry exists to just get people into contact with the healing presence and person of Jesus. Because here's what Jesus does next. He looked at them, religious leaders, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. The Sabbath exists for 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 our withered selves to be stretched out into wholeness and restoration. And that's why we're doing a series on the Sabbath. Our hope is, is you'll name a, a section of your week, preferably 24 hours, although I'll speak that to that more next week, 24 hours that exist solely for your God to restore you, restore your humanness. So let me just ask, how are you seeking restoration now in this season of life? And one of the best reflections I, I've heard on this question is by author Alan Fadling, and he describes our culture's rest, work, and restoration, uh, restoration rhythm like, like this. And there's an, an image we'll throw up. We start with driven achievement. I work to earn my identity, whether that's in the marketplace, whether that's the way we raise our kids, whether that's whatever we spend money to say. I have to do certain things to be whole, to be right, to be good. So we start with driven achievement. But you can only do that so long, maybe Maybe six days, maybe five, maybe 20. But eventually then I've got to escape from this. So then we move into mind-numbing escape, which creates a 
a life of anxiety and ungrace. So we don't seek Sabbath, we seek mind-numbing activities. We seek the Netflix queue, our phones, television, movies, YouTube contact, t- content, watching sports endlessly. Now watching sports and gambling on sports for endless hours. Doing things that do not make us more alive, more human. The earlier in the series I said, listen, if you can't do a 24-hour Sabbath right now, I, I understand. Maybe it's only eight, maybe it's, it's six, and that's okay. Start, start there. And I, I mean that, but for a moment I want to challenge my own words. The how many of us, if, if we added up all of the mind-numbing escapes we pursue, we get to 24 hours Sabbath. Or maybe 16, because you should be sleeping eight. Or maybe 10 hours sleep on Sabbath. Who knows? But if we added up the mind-numbing escapes we practice that actually don't make us more alive or more human, we, we get to 24. We get, we get there. Because what Alan uh, says, what this, devi- or this image shows, and I, I think is very very powerfully descriptive of the world you and I live in. It's anxiety and it's gracelessness. And meanwhile, here's Jesus saying, I, like, let me, he- let me restore you. Let me heal you. And, and let me be clear, I'm not saying the Sabbath means no television, no movies, sit in your room and be silent. No, I'm not saying that. But, but what we fill our Sabbath with is asking the question, what will the Lord Jesus use to restore me? What will the Lord Jesus use to restore me, to make me more human? And we're going we're to get into that more next week. But, but just for me, for a few minutes, it's, it's, it's feasting with my family's, family or friends. It's watching baseball with my boys. And increasingly, play, praise God, my daughter is watching baseball with me. This is fantastic. It's, it's taking a nap, setting no alarm. It's reading books that connect me into the presence of God, to the life he's blessed me with. It's being outside, connected in creation to what he has made, the wonder and beauty of this world. It's worshiping here in this space with other Christians who I need to hear sing and read scripture and preach over me. And for those of us who are married, who have, who have kids, or if you have a roommate, someone you live with, we're not just asking this question individually, how does Jesus restore me? We're also asking, well, how does he restore my wife? How does he restore my kids? How does he restore the person I'm married to, my roommate? Because the other people who share my roof, I need to make sure they're also experiencing the healing power of Jesus in the way that I practice Sabbath. This isn't just an individual question. Right? Like, I don't go to Missy and be like, hey, the answer this week is I'm not going to see you for the next 24 hours. That's never going to happen. So I, I can't answer this question for you, but I hope you'll take this question home and begin to reflect and meditate on it. This is what the heart of the Sabbath is. Not don't eat. Don't touch. Right? That's not the, the Sabbath is what? Your hand is withered. You're withered. So how does Jesus restore you? So why, why, does, why does the Sabbath get Jesus killed? Well, I hope I've said some interesting things, but I haven't really answered that question. And so now it's time to answer that question. You probably noticed I skipped over a part of the text. And that's where the answer is about why Jesus said his disciples were allowed to pluck grain on the Sabbath and disobey Sabbath regulations. Right? The Pharisees say, what gives you the right to do that? And Jesus tells them that story about 1 Samuel 21. But then he goes on to say two more things. The first thing he says, 
to me is one of the most beautiful things Jesus says, and it really underlines this whole series, which Jesus says, first, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, verse 27 of chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I mean, what... First of all, it's a pretty audacious statement. Jesus is like, hey, just so you know, I have the right to define what the Sabbath is. Like, that's pretty wild. Okay, I'm the only one who feels that way. That's fine. I, I define the Sabbath, and it was made for you. You weren't made for this. Which you, just sit in that for a second. The whole reason God created the Sabbath was for you to share in his blessing and rest. It was made for you. You were not made to obey a bunch of random regulations that some religious leader like me concocts. This was made for you. To be connected to your creator, for him to restore you and to, to make you fully human and alive. And that's, that's freeing, it's beautiful, but it does raise the question, what gives Jesus the right to define what the Sabbath is? Well, he, he answers, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, Jesus says. So, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, well, I'm in charge of the Sabbath because I made it. That's why I define what it is. That's why I get to eat the grain. It's mine because I'm Lord of it. So remember, like the religious leaders are asking Jesus, what, do, what right do you have to redefine the Sabbath? And Jesus is, actually, this is more offensive than what I just described, right? If, I mean, just imagine a religious leader, Jesus is saying, well, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. But it's actually worse than that, because the way he tells the story, he refers to his story, and, and, and in 1 Samuel 21, this is the story. The high priest gave David the bread to eat, right? So, so understand what Jesus is saying. He tells a story where, hey, listen, the high priest, well, he gave David the bread to eat. And if the high priest had the authority to break the custom and give David the bread, well, so do I. I'm equal. I am more important than the high priest. <laughs> but it gets worse because Jesus is comparing himself to David. And who's David? David is the personally anointed king of Israel on the run for his life. And Jesus is saying, well, David, the anointed king, he had the right to eat the bread that he couldn't eat, and so do I, because I'm the true anointed king of Israel. He's putting himself on par with David. Jesus is not just saying, I invented the Sabbath, although he is saying that. He's also saying, I'm also greater than David, and I'm greater than the high priest. I get to do what I want on the Sabbath, because I'm more important than all of it. I am everything the Sabbath pointed to. I am the Sabbath itself, Jesus says. I am rest. I am wholeness. I am fullness itself. The Sabbath was about God filling his presence on the seventh day, his communing with us. A time of constant communion between God and human beings where we experience his overabundance, his filling, his presence, his goodness, his restoration. And that's too much for religious leaders. And it should, I mean, this is like deeply heretical or the most beautiful truth you could ever grasp. And that's why the healing of the man's withered hand becomes the verification that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He talks a big talk, and then he makes this man whole once again. And then we're left with, you and I are left with a question. Will we structure, order our lives so that 
the healing presence of Jesus becomes the defining truth of our life? Or will we take up either empty religion like the Pharisees or take up empty mind-numbing distractions like our culture to seek to be made whole again? That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath means he is your healing and restoration. So what is robbing you of rest right now? What is withered away in your life? Because he sees you. He can restore you. So go to him. And one of the best ways to go, go to him is to structure your life around his healing. To schedule 24 hours where you will do nothing but seek the restoring power of Jesus. My hope is you'll, you'll find a way to that moving forward. To, to Sabbath, to feast, to do things that restore your soul in his presence. But I wonder if that's why sometimes people have to wade through much stuff, uh, so much junk at church before they get to Jesus. It's not because you and I are bad people who get sidetracked on less important things, although we all do. It's because maybe, maybe we haven't really Sabbathed yet and experiencing the deep soul healing and restoration that the presence of Jesus offers us. It's easier to have a bunch of weird rules. Do this, you'll be okay. It's a lot harder to say, Jesus, my hand is withered. Will you heal me? And my hope is by beginning to practice the restoration of Jesus in a 24-hour window, it, it will pervade out into the rest of your life. Become your reality where we learn to, to at least practice for 24 hours the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, eventually we'll know how to live an entire life under the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, to, uh, to conclude, I'm a terrible painter, and if uh, you could have failed children in art class, I would have failed. Um, so it's why uh, the masters of painting always fascinate me. Uh, and while I was uh, preparing for this series, I was struck by the way uh, Marvel, Marva Dawn described Claude Monet's paintings. His process and how he approached his work, which surpassed my elementary school offerings. So this painting of, of a haystack is a part of Monet's haystack series. It recently sold for $110 million. So whatever you think about art, this is apparently very good. But what Monet would do is he would sit and he would wait until the lighting, the affect of the sun was just right. And then he would frantically paint what he was looking, looking at, seeing, until the effect changed. And then he stopped. And he wouldn't start again until he saw just what he wanted to see. And so as a result, he was, was able to capture for all time this transient and momentary effects, the beauty of God's creations, so that now it exists permanently. We have permanently on hands what a man saw for just a matter of minutes, a few different times as he sought to paint. And here's how Marvadon describes Monet's painting in Our Sabbath. Just as Monet went back day after day to capture an effect, so we go back week after week for the effect of the Sabbath in order to paint into our spirits the eternal, the presence of God. That is what the Sabbath is, capturing the presence of the restorative power of Jesus into a day, and then that day bleeds into every other day till it becomes the defining reality of our lives. Do you see what Jesus is offering you? as Lord of the Sabbath.
He sees you. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you whole. And that's why he got killed on the Sabbath. So that you could live in a, in a world one day again where grain abounds. Where you could walk through the field and eat. Where this scarce world would be overdone by the, the healing and restorative power of God through the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where our tired, withered, hungry souls can remember the world our Father is leading us towards. And I'm just asking, what if we had one day to eat our best meal, to allow Jesus to restore us, to practice, so we're ready when that world arrives? Let me pray for us. Father, we all need healing in some way. We all need the restorative personal presence of Jesus for something that happened this week, that happened last month, that we're just walking through. It's withering us away. So I, I just, I trust you, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, to speak into each of our hearts, uh, to, to say to us, stretch out your hands, whatever that is for us. And so we, just, we open up a space now, God, for you to do that work as we sing, as we pray, as maybe some of us, we just got to sit and be. Um, we open up space now, Jesus, for, for you to deal, do your healing work among us. Uh, come, Spirit, do that work, I pray, for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures that fade Are never enough And you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Nothing better than you. There's nothing. 
great is thy faithfulness. And great is thy faithfulness. And great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And all his hand hath provided. So, when you're walking through a field and there's grain, eat it. 
Uh, and one of the ways we respond to his faithfulness to us is through uh, worship of our tithes and offerings. So if this is your church home and you came uh, prepared to worship in that way, the ushers are going to come forward now and collect the offering. If this is not your church home, this is not for you. Uh, this is for people who want and uh, desire to see the ministry of liberty go, go forward. Um, and to name uh, some of the ways your generosity helps make ministry happen. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, actually next week, uh, our basketball season will start. Uh, where we have about 200 students um, involved in that, 200 kids involved in our, our uh, basketball leagues. And then starting in January, uh, soccer, where we've had about 600 kids involved, which means on a Saturday we can have anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people coming in and out of our, our building, which is, uh, is pretty incredible. Um, and so your, your generosity helps make ministry like that happen. We do, we do those things. We do soccer and uh, basketball in order to uh, hopefully connect kids with uh, people, adults, coaches who love Jesus and want to use sports as a way to point them towards the way of Jesus. So it's okay. We can collect offering while we, pr- we, while we pray, but I want to pray for that um, now as we collect uh, offerings. So let us, let us pray. Uh, Father, in uh, next weekend, lots of uh, kids, families, grandparents are going to be coming through um, our doors the same in, in January with soccer. And we We do this to connect them to the healing presence of the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus. And I, many people in this room actually use sports as as a powerful way to connect people to Jesus. So we don't just pray over our ministries, but to all here who who serve in that way. Uh, Father, would you you bless our best efforts um, to use uh, the beauty of what our our bodies can do via sport uh, to to point people and connect people with Jesus. Uh, We ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, second uh, thing worth noting, if, if you're newer to our, our church, during the next service, 1030, we're going to have a newcomer coffee. Um, I'll be around for the first 30, 40 minutes or so. And we'd love to, if you have any questions, would like to know anything about the church, that's why we provide that space. Uh, leave your kids uh, in children's ministry if, 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 you, if that's a need for you. But we'd love to have that time with you um, if you could make that, that happen. That'll be in the fireside room, just kind of out of the doors and to, to the right. Um, Well, with that, uh, if you're able, would you please uh, stand as I speak God's blessing over us as we head into this week. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May you experience and live into his grace and peace this week. You are dismissed.